0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Hey, Bell. how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. As you know, I'm a little busier these days because we have a second Norch in our house. You forget how puppies make your life gloriously inefficient. So deal <laughs> dealing with that, but other than that, I'm doing good.
0: Hattie, right? That's her name?
1: Hattie is her name, yep. Our other Norch is very much sitting on the fence on this issue he finds it entertaining and also perplexing that there's now another creature getting more attention than he does, so. Well, wonderful. (laughs) Well, in
0: all of your spare time when you aren't puppy training, I know you've been thinking a lot about some of the regulations. I thought we could talk about those today because we do have some big news regarding PAMA.
1: That's right. So yeah, the things we've talked about on multiple occasions are, one of the big issues facing us is, uh, is PAMA, which is Protection to Access to Medicare Act, which when it was enforced, include market-based pricing for lab tests to move away mm-hmm. from the clinical lab fees, to modernize the clinical lab fee schedule, I should say. But the way it was introduced, actually introduced pretty big pay cuts. And those were delayed during COVID, but they were not taken away. It would have been in January that we would have had to start reporting what we were getting paid for tests and taking and readjusting our reimbursement, which by CMS, which would have been downward for sure, up to 15%. The good news is that in the most recent continuing resolution to keep the government open, a one-year delay, another delay in implementing those cuts, and and the data reporting, which is a lot of work, was passed. It was introduced into the bill, which passed both houses of Congress and was signed by President Biden. So really good news for us. As you can imagine, there's a lot that people are trying to get onto that bill, because there's probably only going to be one more, because again, I think the government's funded now through December. So the thought is There'll be maybe one other bill that passed before the end of the year. And if a PAMA delay had not been included in this one, we would have been biting our nails, hoping that there'd be one more shot at a bite of the apple, if you will. So very much, I think it shows the importance of advocacy. We did have, there was a Mm -hmm. lot of, there was congressional support, both from both sides of the aisle, as they say in Washington, D.C. And and so, and there were a lot of other healthcare needs, physician fee schedules and other things That people wanted included that didn't get included. It speaks to something you and I have talked about a lot, and that is the importance for advocacy for labs and keeping it part of the public dialogue.
0: Yeah, advocacy is so important. This is a huge win for laboratories. So, as a reminder for everyone, this PAMA Protecting Access to Medicaid Act was passed in 2014. And with CMS deriving these new rates for the clinical lab fee schedule, as we know, they were really not done in an inclusive way, they were based mostly on private payer rates taken from this small subset of actual labs, mostly large high-volume labs, and really didn't include community labs, which are so essential for patient care. So then to impose these very large cuts, it would have harmed patients at the end of it all. It would have harmed patient access to tests that were needed because laboratories just wouldn't be able to provide these tests anymore. So big win that that one-year delay was passed, and I believe it's until January 1st of 2025.
1: Yep. And then as you
0: mentioned, yeah, this this was the only Medicare extender provision that made it into that packet.
1: Yeah, no, so really, again, big victory there. I know from the ACLA perspective, American Clinical Laboratory Association perspective, I think Senator Brown from Ohio and Senator Tillis from North Carolina, both were very supportive. So one Democrat, one Republican. So it really mm-hmm. shows the importance of this when there's so many competing priorities that are out there. So, and you're right, statutorily, it's, it's one it's January 1st, right? So it's a one year delay. So we'll really need to focus now on getting that permanent fix. There is a bill out there called SALSA, Saving Access mm-hmm. to Laboratory Services Act, which hopefully we can get some momentum behind and get it passed and we can get away from the one-year delay and kind of into a more feasible. Because to your point, the way that the CMS implemented actually was challenged by law, by ACLA, and there, and it was, ACLA versus Azar was the lawsuit. It was ruled that CMS had, did not implement the bill as it was intended by overly indexing the large, high-volume mm-hmm reference laboratories, which you mentioned. It's a delay, it's great, we're very appreciative, and now the work begins again to really try and get something permanent.
0: Yeah, so permanent, as you mentioned, really would be SALSA, which would, first of all, make sure the methodology included a wide representation of actual laboratories, not just a very small subset. So that would make the reimbursement rates more uniform, or at least would include all the variability across the country. And then it's my understanding, though that it also includes a, a cap on uh, annual payment rate decreases, which would give some protection to our labs.
1: Yeah, both sides, right? Something I've learned, as you know, most I do about government, I learned from schoolhouse rock cartoons on Saturday morning. <laughs> Basically, the gov- as they look to keep the budget balanced around Medicare and Medicaid spending, they look at how much a bill will cost or what bill will save, and then you have to get everything balanced out. So. That's a lot of what's, what's happening now is they'll have to kind of look at that, try and get that permanent fix. And as part of that, what was included in the bill, because what they do is a, is a COB, the Congressional Office of Budget, I think it is anyways. It might be wrong there, but the, what that stands for, so many acronyms. But what they do is they project over several years what a new law would cost the government, right? And so what was included in SALSA was that they can't cut too far. And they also won't go up. So they kind of get provide some protections from the labs and so there won't be overly drastic cuts and actually some protection for the government to say if any rates need to come up, there'll be some cap on that too to help make sure that the the overall package is affordable.
0: So good news for laboratories. Hopefully salsa yeah. will get passed. As you said, there's bipartisan support for it. And, and I think the recognition of this need, it's just it's going to have a significant cost associated with it. And so Is going to require some thoughtful consideration.
1: It does make a big difference. We heard about this. We heard about this actually from Senator Tillis about another issue, which we talked about, and that's the FDA. But Mm. it it makes a big difference when patient groups and when you write to your Congresspeople. So I know there was one stop lab cuts now, which is still out there about kind of this issue around payment. Those things make it your advocacy or our advocacy makes a big, big difference. So I think it's an yeah. idea for people. It has it does have influence. We feel a lot of times like we don't have much of a voice, but we actually do.
0: Yeah, we really do. And that was a great transition to another topic I wanted to bring up, which is the FDA proposed rule, because there is still time in the comment period for people to respond. You can respond as yourself, you can respond as your organization, you can work with your professional society. But I think the important thing is, is we should be responding to the FDA. The comment period is open till December fourth, And there are specific points where the FDA asked for input, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't provide that input. I know a lot of people have just responded to the FDA and said, no, don't do it, which I can understand that's a a viewpoint, but working with the assumption that this is going to happen, I think that we can work towards something that's going to be better for laboratories and for patients by providing some input to the FDA. I
1: agree 100%. Go back to conversations I've had with high ranking officials in the FDA. And again, this idea that it shouldn't happen. The thought is that, look, you know, our job is to protect the safety of the American people. And and there's a lot of innovation happening out there, which is great. Their perspective is that they want to make sure that it's happening in a way it's safe and sustainable. To just say you don't do it, it's just not going to get a lot of traction, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I think getting to those specific questions they put out now, you don't you could, one could respond to those and not concede that you think it's a great idea at the same time, right? So, I mean, there's a way that you can you can balance that. But I do think beyond that, beyond just saying it's not a great idea, but to say if you did or if it happens, here's some things along the specific questions you've raised, I think it's super important. Again, getting back to the conversation we had before, this is not something that's going through Congress, mm-hmm. right? Valid was something that would have gone through Congress like a salsa or like the stopping PAMA cuts. This is a unilateral action by FDA. So this is our one chance to really put out there two things: put out there into the comment because then that will become part of the public record if there are Senate hearings. Because it's possible the Senate could, you know, say there we've heard a lot from patient groups. We want to have a hearing on this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because FDA is accountable to Congress, right? And then the other piece of it is they're asking these questions because FDA can only regulate using the tools that have been approved by Congress. So since there's now not a lab specific framework, they're applying a device framework. Where they're asking questions is actually areas where they they feel like they have some flexibility in how they would implement oversight of LDT. So that's why it becomes really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There are certain things they're asking that really would mean a lot to laboratories. For example, one of the first questions they ask is, should the FDA exempt tests offered prior to the rules enactment. This is known as grandfathering, where essentially once the rules enact, all the tests that are in widespread use to this day, could they just be exempt from this or would we go back retrospectively and every lab would have to submit every single lab developed test that they have on their menu. So there's a lot of arguments for why grandfathering would be a good thing and protective to our patients because we could continue to offer tests that have been well-validated and vetted. That's something that I would encourage people to really consider uh, responding to because it could have such a large impact on their laboratory.
1: That's right. And another one that I know is in there is should tests that have gone through the New York State has a process for approving lab tests, the CLEP, I think it's called, another acronym out there. Of course, Mayo, anyone who provides clinical testing in the state of New York has to get them cleared by their LDCs, cleared by the New York State Department of Health. And so, since we do tests as, as DLMP and Mayo Clinic Labs, through Mayo Clinic Labs in New York State, we do. But it's so to think about the general category of uh, some kind of third party that could help with this, because one of the concerns everybody has is just uh, who's going to actually do this work, right? And there's, uh, even with COVID, the FDA really struggled to stay on top of the EUAs just because of the, the volume. And one of the challenges with LDTs, laboratory developed tests, there's not great data out there about how many there really are. And I was there. I mean, I remember way back in the day when I was running the flow cytometry lab and they said you couldn't use RUO. And I was there. Was, mm-hmm. I get it. It's just not something we're used to. It's not something we think of as, boy, we have add a lot of value to my daily life. But the flip side is, Think about it, if this does go forward. To your point, how would we want to influence it? Our time to try and influence those things are now, because yeah, once right. that comment period closes, you know, like if no one commented on grandfathering and there was a hearing on FDA and they said, "Why didn't you, you know, provide exemption for those tests that were already live?" They would say, "Well, no one commented," and so you know we just didn't think it was a big issue for the labs. Builds that accountability back into the FDA in terms of they're not forced or required to respond to comments in their final rule but still in all, they they might be asked to respond to them later by by a congressional Mm -hmm. body.
0: Yeah, so you touched on this, but I think there's two areas in addition to the grandfathering clause that people really should consider responding to. And one of them just is, what is the extent of laboratory developed tests? And that of course includes any FDA approved test that's been modified by a laboratory. And that could be modified, for example, to accept specimens from children outside Mm -hmm. of an adult range. Many tests that make it through FDA are not specifically approved for use in certain age ranges, mostly children. Would that have an impact on your laboratory? Well, if so, how would that impact your patients? The FDA is asking two things. What is the unintended consequence from a proposed phase-out policy to certain patient populations Would this impact your children, your pediatric populations? Would it impact rural populations? And then what would the cost be to the laboratory? Because the FDA is trying to gather this information, and I don't think they really know because the full scope of lab-developed tests is not really well understood.
1: No, you're right. So the more information you provide, I mean, FDA can use that as they consider what if they do indeed draft the final rule, they can take all these things into account. Again, it's an area of medicine that they need the information that's much different than pharmaceutical manufacturing or even device manufacturing, test manufacturing. So mm-hmm. it's in everyone's best interest to respond and to really respond thoughtfully, you know, about what they've asked. And then we just got to keep our ear to the ground and see what happens.
0: Yeah. So we will keep everyone up, updated, but wanted to mention that there's still time in the comment period. And we'll have maybe another opportunity to mention this at least once or maybe even twice before it closes. So December 4th, again, is the close of the comment period. So still time to get your own response
1: in. Yep. Assuming I don't become, go rip family, go after my Thanksgiving turkey and sleep through
0: <laughs> Don't and sleep, sleep through it, it. it, right? Yes. Well, speaking of Thanksgiving turkeys and getting together with friends and family, really hope that everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. They get to spend time with friends or family, loved ones, or do things that are meaningful to them. And wishing all of our listeners a very peaceful, warm, and wonderful holiday.
1: Yes, and spend with loved ones, hopefully, if possible. So yeah, Yeah, wishing everyone out there a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And thank you, Dr. Pritt. I enjoy doing these. And thanks to our listeners also for listening to us. It's it's gratifying to be able to share information that people hopefully find helpful and and useful.
0: Yes, that's one of the things I'm thankful to as well, Bill, is our, our weekly chats.
1: Indeed. And so, and then we'll now be in the holiday spirit.
0: Absolutely. So happy holidays to everyone. And we will catch you next time.